This is the CineSnob Podcast. Welcome to episode 152 of the CineSnob Podcast. I'm Jared Kingery. I'm Cody Viafania. Cody, there has been a uh, a few of uh, a few RPATs, that's Robert Pattinson, as Batman sightings in the last couple of weeks. Sorry, or the last R- week or R-Bats. so. RBATs, that's even better. Uh, there was a sort of official reveal from uh, director Matt Reeves on his Twitter account last week, maybe? Early this week? I don't remember when it happened exactly. Yeah, it was one of those two. It was like a slow, red-tinged camera test of uh, of of Pattinson in the Batman suit, which uh, led to rampant span- fan speculation uh, about the bat symbol on the suit, mm-hmm. um, uh, reportedly being forged from uh, the gun that killed his parents, which you have an interesting fact you found out about that. Yeah, so so if you look closely at the at the bat suit, people kind of zoomed in and looked at it, and it looks like that it's it's made from a gun that's been, I guess, forged down or or split open or whatever. And uh, some people were speculating that that's a comic book storyline. Um, and uh, upon further reading, that is actually a storyline or story element from a Kevin Smith issue of Batman. Um, where, uh, he goes, uh, where Bruce Wayne goes in disguise to a, like a, a shop that has like, I I don't know if it's like Batman memorabilia or like crime memorabilia or something like that. And a guy has the gun that killed, uh, Bruce Wayne's parents. And like he bought it at a pawn shop. (laughs) Yeah, basically. Um, and then, uh, and then he decides to take the gun and melt it down and then put it, uh, inside of his suit so that I think the line is something like, so the gun that broke my heart as a child will protect my heart as an adult or something like that, which is a very maudlin Kevin Smith thing to say, (laughs) but it's um, a very, it's a very comic book thing though. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so it's, it's just interesting to me or funny to me that a a huge element or piece of this new Batman movie uh, might be directly influenced by Kevin Smith. Yeah, I mean, he's uh, kind of an unabashed Batman fan. I mean, he's done... uh, Doesn't he do a Batman podcast? Yeah, I think it's called Uh, Fat Man on Batman. Yeah, and uh, obviously his uh, uh, Blunt Man and Chronic is based on Batman and Robin. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I'm totally fine with it. it. It's... When I first uh, heard the speculation, I thought it was kind of corny. Mm -hmm. And I guess it kind of is, but it's uh, no less corny than, you know, um, than it being made out of uh, some sort of random bulletproof material. So it'll, uh, (laughs) sorry, I just, one of the toys on my desk, I accidentally shot a missile out of it. Sounds about right. (laughs) Um, So it, uh, it's no, uh, when I think about it, it's more, no more or less corny than anything else that comes along with this. And then there were some other photos I think that leaked yesterday of a stuntman uh, dressed up in the gear, the Batman suit, which rumor is that there's supposed to be two different versions of the suit in the movie. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was a pretty clear view of what it looks like uh, on a motorcycle, um, which is like a guy in tactical pants, basically, and a bunch of armor. And again, it looked like the the Batman symbol made out of a gun. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know if you you saw any of that or thought had any thoughts on that. No, I mean I I don't have a lot of knowledge about the the suit or the history of the suit or anything like that. I you know I'm my my interest in in the character is is solely based on cinematic versions and and I think that uh, I'm super just on on a surface level excited to see what Matt Reeves is able to do. One um, of the one of the things that I've seen, it seems to be based on uh, the video game Batman that's been very popular lately. I have heard the, that. The Arkham series, uh, it sort of has the same look to the suit, which is something I never really got into. <laughs> I don't know if I ever told you this. I bought a PlayStation 3 like two years ago at a yard sale mm. for for 40 bucks. 
Wow. No, I think for 30 bucks. I don't know. Either way, it was a really good deal. And it came with a stack of games. Mostly I bought it because I wanted a, a cheap Blu-ray player. Mm-hmm. And it came with the Batman games, and I thought, I'm going to give this a shot. Because I've been out of the video game thing for a long time when it comes to new games. And it's it looks great, and it has uh, the voices of Kevin Conroy as Batman and Mark Hamill as the Joker from the classic animated series. But the the beginning of the first game, Arkham Asylum, I think it's called, you spend like 10 minutes going through the fucking credits walking the Joker into prison. Is that the uh, one that starts the first level is in like a drain or something like that? Uh, I got, I don't remember. Because I, I was on a, I did an NVIDIA, I have an NVIDIA shield, and one of the things that it came with for a while was like a, like a number of free games to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I did try a Batman game once. And I just remember like trying to like run through like a sewer and being like, I'm this is I'm so bored. I just I'm not (laughs) I don't like video games at all, really. And I was like, I'll try it. And then I was like, no, I remember why I don't like this. It was um, there. There are three games in that series, I believe. So I don't know which which one that might have been. This was the very first one. And I swear it's just you're just walking. You literally have to watch Batman walk the Joker into the prison as credits roll. And it was like, I just want to play the fucking game, please. <laughs> mm-hmm. But that's the look. That that look is very much um, what this Batman suit appears to be the inspiration uh, from. I think I screwed that sentence up. But yeah, uh, I'm, I'm. You speak uh, words good. I know. I, just, I think I got caught up in a bunch of word salad backwardness. <laughs> Uh, yeah, again, I'm excited to see what, uh, Matt Reeves brings to Batman. I've, I've been a fan of Matt Reeves since Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. No I've way. been a fan since Cloverfield. I know. And I, you know what I actually <laughs> like? I, I like the first Cloverfield too. I don't have a problem with that one. It's the second and third ones that, that bother me. Shit. I, I, I think Let Me In is really great too. I just think he's, a... I, you know what? I don't think I ever saw that one. Oh, wow. I saw the Swedish, uh, Let the Right One In, but I, I don't believe I ever saw Let Me In. That's. Cody Smith McPhee, right? And Chloe and Moretz. Clo- yeah. Uh, yeah, it's uh, and Richard Jenkins is really great in it. Um yeah, it's a it, it's it's a faithful adaptation and it captures the spirit of the movie. There's a few things that are changed, but I don't think it's anything major. I think that uh, Let the Right One In is such a beloved like horror modern classic that I think a lot of people just were fundamentally against its existence. But mm-hmm. the fact of the matter is it's a very, very good adaptation. I need to check that one out. And there's also a scene in it. You know how Reeves has that the, the tank scene that everyone like thought is was amazing? Mm-hmm. There, there's a scene in, in Let Me In that is equally as great that is sort of similar that has to do with like a stationary camera that's in a place that's super uh, unconventional. On um, a snowy playground? No. No, oh. not a snowy playground. It's actually a... Uh, it's like a car crash scene uh, oh. that that's really really well done. Um, yeah, it's 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 well worth checking out. And it's like where you know Cloverfield was what it was, but Let Me In is where you see Matt Reeves sort of because it's the movie he did after that, and it's the movie where right. you see him like you're like oh okay, well this guy is like clearly a very talented director um, in terms of visual style and all that stuff. So yeah, I know how much you love to talk about Cloverfield and. Here we have again talked about Cloverfield. It's the one. It's the constant of this of this show. <laughs> it always okay. comes back to Cloverfield. <laughs> Anything else before we move on? Um, no, I think I think we're good. We got right, a packed episode. I know. Let's go ahead and get started with reviews. Here are this week's reviews. First up, we have Call of the Wild. Come here. This is a map of the Yukon. My son. Was always reading adventure stories. He's crazy about the news coming out of the Yukon. It wasn't the gold, he didn't care about that, it was the mountains. He spent all day looking at maps and, and pictures of the mountains, dreaming about what was on the other side. Places no one had been. Wild places. We could go. You and me. See what's out there. What do you think? Uh, I saw this movie last week. I believe you just got out of this yesterday. I did. Mm-hmm. Um, appears to already be doing well at the box office. It's ahead of Sonic. Uh, we're recording this on a Saturday, by the way. 
So uh, well, it's it's doing okay. You know, it had a, a budget of over a hundred million dollars, and it's only making back twenty well, something. But again, yes, but it's at least um, performing better than I thought it would. Because this well, kind of seems like the movie that would be forgotten. Well, and I think that's where that's a good starting point to talk about it because it's it's a weird like tweener movie. I think mm-hmm. where I don't I don't really exactly know who it's made for. Um, I, I guess a family movie though. It's it's certainly got darker themes to it. It's definitely not for smaller kids. I don't think. Um, and uh, and I don't think it's overly comedic either. That that would have that sort of appeal. So it's it's kind of a weird tweener movie. Um, and and sort of. It makes sense that it's a 20th century studios movie because it feels like it's not quite Disney, but it's not, you know, like, like, you you know what I mean? Like, it's not quite on the Disney level of family movie. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. Cause this is, uh, it's officially branded 20th century studios, but there's been a lot of Disney marketing for it. Mm -hmm. Uh, so yeah, I feel like it's a, it's a movie that had it been uh, greenlit, you know, two years later, it would have been a Disney Plus movie, maybe? That that checks out, actually. Um, and I think that the quality is sort of Disney Plus-esque. Um, and look, I, 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 know, I, don't, I, I don't know how fair this is, but it's how I feel, so I'm just going to say it. Um, <laughs> the, for me, the biggest problem is, is that the CGI dog in my opinion is terrible at no point during the course of the movie am i ever under the impression that that is a real dog in any way it doesn't mm-hmm. move like a dog it's it makes like facial expressions sometimes like it just looks really really fake and it took me out of the movie completely um and 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 I, and I know that that's a tough thing because it looks, I mean, comparatively speaking, you know, it looks great. It's great CGI. But, but in this age where everything, you know, like if you're going to make a movie that has a dog in every single scene of the movie and it's not all computer generated, everything, you're going to be able to tell and you really, really can tell. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I'm curious as to why they went all CGI when it seems like a, a real dog would have sufficed in some scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Or at least maybe like a CGI enhanced dog. I don't, I don't know. Um, yeah. Yeah. Put a, yeah. I, I mean, yeah, sure. That a that, CGI enhanced dog would have put, put, you know, the, the dots on the dog's face and stuff. <laughs> get a dog motion capture. Sure. Why not? I, I sent you some, uh, some, uh, uh, photos from a tweet from Karen Gillan, who's in the movie for about two minutes total. Mm-hmm. Of her with uh, it's Terry Notary, who's a, a noted motion capture artist. He did a lot of uh, Planet of the Apes too. I think he was the big uh, orangutan mm-hmm. in uh, Planet of the Apes. Anyway, um, and, like she's like petting him on the head. And God, I want to see pictures of Harrison Ford <laughs> having to pet that guy on the head. or like snuggling, <laughs> snuggling that guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So so outside of the CGI, which I th- we we'll both agree it's not. Um, ideal what did you think of the movie itself well um i i for me the the movie itself to me is just not interesting i i i I honestly did not like it at all um the i I feel like it, it sort of shows the journey of this dog from from being like a rich guy's something or other to being um to being sold and like I think that the progression of that, just like I don't think that the journey feels um, as epic or sweeping as I think it's meant to be or it's trying to be, and I also think that there's some cartoonishly like bad characterizations, like Dan Stevens in the movie, who I almost always really <laughs> like, is like a cartoon villain, um, and and uh, and and also his that storyline doesn't really, I think put in the legwork to to earn where it goes um i also think that it's it's a bit like so so the movie I, I think is 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 metaphorical in a way that i think everyone can understand and i think as a result it's super on the nose so the 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 grief-stricken nature of harrison ford and um and his attitude towards um the dog and even kind of 
letting the dog explore and, and, and have its calling and stuff. Like, I just think it's really on the nose. Um, I think some of the slapsticky stuff, because there is some of it, doesn't work great. Um, I think it's. I think Harrison Ford is engaged, and I think that he puts forth a performance that's convincing, and he's not phoning it in, um, which I think is really good to see because so he very sad. easily it, could have. It's so sad to have to talk about someone like Harrison Ford like that. Yeah, but the like the two thousands have not been. He's not been <laughs> up to his game in the two thousands. You know, and I think that that is mildly true because I don't. Do you remember? Did you ever see the Age of Adeline? Well, no, I didn't, but I've heard that there, there was actually a pretty good story about that in the Ringer over the okay. week, uh, the last week, kind of uh, discussing breaking down his um, his kind of commitment to performances. And Age of Adeline is one they mentioned. It's not terribly long. He's but very, had, very good in it. Yeah, but but it it's um it's a very small role comparatively, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, it's yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, there's been some occasions like I think he was. I think he was fun in uh, The Force Awakens, mm-hmm. um, and I'm struggling to think of something else. Yeah, and, and he is for, – for again, he is – he's not phoning this performance in, although he really is, quite honestly, only in maybe like half of the movie. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and I think that that ha- – like once it becomes the journey between Harrison Ford and Buck, I think it gets better. And I think that that's uh, – well, 100% the, agree. 100% that's, agree. Yeah, and that's the best part of the movie, I think, is 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 where Harrison Ford finally gets Buck, and then they go on this explore, uh, explorative journey, which again for Harrison Ford is metaphorical, and 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 it's him processing his grief and stuff like that. And then I think that there's a there's a small maybe like twenty to thirty minute chunk in there that I think is pretty good. Um, that being said, I think it ends too abruptly. I think that certain things aren't played out too much or I played out enough. And again, the whole way through just the, the, the CGI dog is just so distracting. And, uh, it's something that ultimately I could not overcome or stop thinking about. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I think I got used to the dog, but it, you know, there are the moments that it would take me out of it. There's a scene, um, I guess near the middle of the film where, there's a, it's like just dogs on screen mm-hmm. and there's a, you know, a kind of battle for supremacy. I was a little taken out of the moment there. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are other moments that, that, that um, aren't great. I think anytime the dog kind of showed a more human emotion, because dogs have those, exp- have expressions that you can recognize anybody that's had a dog or been around a dog. You know, you can tell those kind of expressionless, I mean, uh, not, uh, I don't want to say expressionless, but they're not anthropomorphized expressions. It's like, this is what a dog does when it's happy. But when you, like, kind of make the dog, give the dog human characteristics, it really throws it off. Um, That said, um, I enjoyed the movie far more than I thought. Uh, it's, It's once it gets to the Harrison Ford part, again, which is like the last half of the movie. I, it becomes really engaging to me and really um, kind of interesting. Um, I think it, it, you know, the the middle section with uh, where where he's working as the sled dog and and with um, Omar Sy and I can't remember the the females the actress's name um, as like this team delivering mail. That was fun. I thought it went on way too long. Mm-hmm. I would have I would have preferred to see more of. Um, of the the time with Harrison Ford's character, um, because I was really engaged by that, and I thought it was it was a it was a great performance from Harrison Ford. Uh, all things considered, that he's acting beside a guy pretending to be a dog. Um, I, I again, I don't know why there wasn't a real dog in this. I think there could have been plenty of times there was a real dog. Uh, you know, not just when there's fighting or sled dogging or whatever, but. It's it's a weird choice to make because it it does take this the the realism out of it quite a bit, you know. Uh, and again, you know, Dan Stevens thing is is dumb. I don't I don't get why that character was there like that, and like especially just wearing like a crazy suit and a goofy mustache, like he was practically a melodrama character. Like he was going to tie someone to railroad tracks. <laughs> uh-huh. But. Uh, but uh, otherwise, I was I was really engaged by the Harrison Ford part, and I I wasn't 
I didn't mind the other parts. Again, the dog, the CGI dog is going to be the biggest talk of probably why people are, um, you know, why people don't like it or why people are taken out of it. And that's a fair point, I think, because it is so distracting and it is such a major character that it doesn't really, you know, it's fair to say that it, that it's distracting, I think, other than, you know, since it's such an integral part of the story, because there's literally, I don't think there, Buck is ever a real dog, is he? I no, I don't think so. I, I, and I was looking for that too to see if that they were doing any kind of like mix of stuff, or maybe just use facial expressions or something. But no, I don't think at any point any of the animals are real. Even the yeah. other dogs, I think they're all. CGI. I think there's like the the. I think there might be one scene like where he's in a fenced in lot that has real dogs. And I think that one of the things too is, is I think that the the opening scene sort of sets it up as being unrealistic because it seems like Buck is like a Clifford sized dog uh, in, (laughs) in that opening scene. Well, yeah. And he's like uh, the, you know, the, the town dog that gets into trouble, but uh, Bradley Whitford's judge character gets him out of the trouble because that's his owner. It's almost like a Scooby Doo ish sort of take on it. I mean, I know that's in, that is in the original novel, um, but it it is kind of uh, it's it's a strange story to crack because you are seeing some of the story from Buck's point of view, um, and it it's I thought those that was interesting an interesting choice where he's seeing like a kind of vision of a wolf. Um, mm-hmm. I mean it's it's kind of out there and and weird, but it. it it was an interesting part of it. Again, I, I, I don't want to get too chatty on this, but it was it was better than I thought it was going to be. The dog is a distraction, and I wish it was more Harrison Ford. Just yep. that's the bottom line. What's your mm-hmm. grade for Call of the Wild? I'm gonna have to give it a C. Um, I just I was really I was I could say maybe 20 to 30 minutes tops is the most I was engaged, and in uh, the CGI is just uh, whack. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, I'm going to give it a B minus. I I think I can recommend it. Um, probably not for theaters, but when it eventually hits Disney Plus, which is probably where it would have ended up anyway, had it not had Harrison Ford. If that was like, I don't know, James Cromwell or something, some other old actor, but not the caliber of Harrison Ford, that would have been a Disney Plus movie for sure. Mm-hmm. I agree with that for sure. All right, let's move on to our next movie, Impractical Jokers, the movie. Warning, the following program, uh, movie, contains scenes of graphic stupidity among four lifelong friends who compete to embarrass each other. Hello? Oh. Are you all right? Hey, I've been down here since 1987. I was looking for the gift shop. It's on down the left. On February 21st, the world's greatest jokers are coming to the big screen. You're the impractical jokers. Yeah. Yeah. I love you guys. I'm having this huge party. I'll see you in Miami? Yes! She sent three tickets. We'll settle this. The four of us will compete in hidden camera challenges on the way down to Miami, and the loser doesn't go to the party. Your object is to get people to stop to help you. I lost my virginity in this car. It was a hell of a night. You show me what you have in the truck. This uh, is, a, of course, a movie version of the reality TV comedy both you and I are big fans of on True TV, Cody. Mm-hmm. Um, it's only opening in limited markets, like here in Austin. It's not opening in San Antonio this week. Uh, they're doing like a strange rollout that I'm not terribly sure why. Yeah, I don't know. That is what it is. Uh, anyway, you and I got to see this early. We got a screener copy of this and got to watch it. I watched it before I interviewed the uh, the Jokers, which you can listen to that interview in, a, in our bonus episode that I we published earlier this week. What did you think of Impractical Jokers, the movie? Um, you know, as far as my relationship with Impractical Jokers goes, um, it's sort of like my comfort food where... Uh, and it's less so I, so I cut the cord with cable and I only have a streaming cable thing now and I do it a little bit less, but you know, I would always, I would literally always have impractical jokers on and watch episodes over and over again. And I would tell myself I'm going to watch a new series (laughs) and I would instead watch six hours of impractical jokers. So same it's 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 one of those things where uh, it's just for me endlessly watchable and funny and 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 easy to watch and i've interviewed mer myself um something you can go back and read on the archives at cinesnob.net um uh but um i'm sad to say (laughs) 
with all that being said, that the movie just really doesn't work. And it bums me out that that's the case because I really want it to be good. Um, and uh, and I think the, the grave it makes two kind of grave mistakes. Um, one is a narrative that is quite frankly just way too involved within the movie. Um, I don't know how I don't know how you feel about this or what percentage you think, but I truly think it's like sixty forty narrative. Um, uh, I, I feel like there's more narrative than there are challenges. Probably. I I don't know that I really remember it being overwhelmingly one thing over the other. See, I see, I did, be, and I think maybe that's because it's like ten minutes of narrative to start off the movie that takes yeah, forever. Yeah. That opening scene starts out funny to me, mm-hmm. and then got too long. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I agree, and I think that the bait. I mean, the the conceit of the movie is that they are they need to travel. It's a it's a road trip movie, right? So the narrative is is solely based on a Paula Abdul concert they're trying to get to in Miami, and so they have to do a road trip with challenges along the way to see who gets to get in because they only got three passes instead of four. So, um. And, and and the narrative is th- is is so thin that the amount of time that they devote to it doesn't really like like it it, it leaves room for like a running gag with Murr in his hotel room like what he's doing and stuff that I just I didn't I didn't find that super funny um, I, and I think that that's the first mistake it makes is it devotes way too much time to a narrative. Now that being said, they're funny in it and there's some funny lines and funny parts, but it's 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 a massive waste of time. Um, and I think the other sin that they commit is that the challenges in the movie are no different than the challenges you would see on an episode of Impractical Jokers. When you're watching an Impractical Jokers movie, I would expect it to be like the Jackass movie, where, Mm -hmm. especially the first one, because I believe the first one came in in the midst of the TV show still being a thing. So when you have the Jackass movie, you have the stunts that are bigger and dumber and uh, more gross or you know, edgier or, you know, anything like, like just the scale feels bigger all around or more creative in some way, um, or, uh, more involved or, you know, however you want to put it. And I feel like with Impractical Jokers, the movie, um, the challenges don't rise up to the task of being in a movie. And I think that's sort of two pronged. One is that they spend a lot of time focused on single person challenges that feel like filler. So mm-hmm. there's there's a there's one with Sal as a Santa, there's one with Joe in a cave, there's one with a Q on a horse. And those scenes to me feel like like either build them up or cut them out because they're just they're just in there as almost segues. And and in like the case of Q's feels like a staged sort of challenge. Yeah, doesn't that feels not real at all. Yeah. I yeah. Know. And I think the other part is just like the, the, there's no scale. They didn't they didn't go epic with it. They didn't go super dark with it. They didn't go super embarrassing. I wanted to see large scale things. And the closest they come is 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 a uh, is one where Q is giving a presentation at a conference, which I think is the best challenge of the movie, and I think really really funny. And I wish that they would have gone on that scale. That should have been the movie, as I told you privately is that that scale that sort of concept mm-hmm. should have been the movie well and the, again um so th- I, maybe we should explain the premise of the show in case anyone doesn't know sure so the the idea is there's four guys sal volcano joe gatto james murray and brian quinn who the goal of the show is um they send each other they all go out to perform a challenge where they have to do these certain things it's a hidden camera show and they have to do whatever they're told, and if they end up being the loser for the episode, they have to take a punishment, which is usually something very kind of embarrassing or extreme or strange or weird. Um, and so to me, most of this stuff felt like punishment ideas. Uh, they weren't really in the premise. Like There was a few times where they actually went out and did the challenge part of it, yeah. but the cue part you're talking about, so he's at a, a conference. basically. Yeah, he's at a conference and he's supposed to be presenting something and the video that keeps coming up is something that's highly embarrassing to him. Um which is was fine. The rest of the whole movie should have been that scale. 
I just don't know that it worked um, for some of the other stuff, like the Sal, uh, Sal pretending to be Santa. Yeah. There's a scene with Joe in a, like an underground cavern where he's pretending to be lost, uh, having, having been lost for, for decades down there, which Murr has the birthday surprise thing, which again should have been way longer. Yeah. That, and that thing was, that was a, a solid get, but yeah, again, it just sort of ends and it should have been a way longer build up or, or something. I, I don't know. There's just something missing with the formula here. Um, and I, I don't mind the narrative. Um, you know, it doesn't particularly work super well um, when it's not being, um, you know, when it's not directly kind of referencing how ridiculous it is. Like the beginning scene, for example, they play themselves in the 90s with very little to no changes like mm-hmm. there's you know they got like everyone's got a wig on or whatever yeah uh which is funny uh you know in and of itself right away again that scene takes 10 minutes too long <laughs> um but the and there's a scene where there's one of the challenges which is actually kind of a funny challenge where they're interviewing for a job with the atlanta hawks mm-hmm. and uh um q is just told to explain the premise of the movie mm-hmm. which was funny um, but there's just not enough of it. It's just not enough of the not enough of the premise of the show comes through, and it, it's it's sacrificed in in the place of a narrative that I don't really feel like does any real favors to anyone. Yeah, and 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 I feel like the best challenge of the movie is like is the is the bit of the eulogy where somewhere uh-huh. where where they're all holding like an urn and they have to rehearse a eulogy in 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 front of someone and read it and it's embarrassing or whatever. And that's a tried and true challenge that has been done on I mean like reading something that the other people wrote to an unsuspecting person. That's been done dozens of times on the show. And it's no different in the movie than it is done on the show at all. And it's not even particularly fun. It's as funny as it always is. And so I don't, I don't get why that is movie worthy. And so basically, it, it feels like an episode of Impractical Jokers, just a normal, regular episode you would see any, you know, anytime you turn on True TV, twenty four seven, basically these days. Yeah, um, yeah. And and it's shot with film cameras for the background scenes. Or like the scenes with the Jokers who are. Kind I don't of know laughing. that they're. I don't know that they're film, but it's film look. Film, yeah, film esque, whatever. Twenty-four um, frame, yeah. With with a narrative that takes up half the movie that just really doesn't add anything to the mix. So for me, it's just I, I would rather watch a marathon of Impractical Jokers than deal with this. Honestly, yeah, it's and it's so disappointing because, like I like you said, I wanted it to be like Jackass. I wanted it to be, you know, give me a thin narrative. I don't give a fuck. Even like the the bad grandpa bad movie. Grandpa, yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't really give a shit about the narrative, but it set up some some funny moments. Like, you know, the idea that he's throwing his dead wife off a bridge was was funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it got the the people, the hidden camera people involved. This or like doesn't the, like, like the funeral stuff. In yes. Bad grandpa. Yeah. Catherine Keener. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, it doesn't, it didn't just ever, there's nothing that ever really comes from the narrative other than it's the premise to get them on a road trip and all the challenges they do never really matter. It never really matters where they are or, like the ob- or references the, you know, like what they're building towards or, you know, even showing an update of like who's losing or who's, you know, whatever. Yeah. Oh, and that reminds me the, so, the punishment at the end that comes up like before the end credits mm-hmm. would have been great to see the setup for. Yep. But instead you just get this shot of it happening and I'm not going to spoil what it is, but I-, I wanted to see the setup to this. Cause that's part of the fun is, is watching these guys. And th- and that's an extreme punishment mm-hmm. uh, for what it is for the, the show level, uh, which they told me during their interview, they had to take a $15 million insurance policy out. Right. Because of and, that. And again, why is the whole movie not on that scale? Yeah, and why did you, why did they not set that up? Because part of the fun is watching these guys squirm when they know they're going to have to do something that they don't want to do. Because that's yeah, the you, premise of the punishment is mm-hmm. you have to do it, otherwise you're you're kicked off the show. Right, and and they you're right. They, they just go straight into that punishment. And if you've watched 
episodes of the show, you know that this punishment is going to like ruin this person's life <laughs> if because <you, if> <laughs> they have a history of 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 being faced with this certain thing. So, mm-hmm. like, why aren't you showing that? Like, why, like, why don't you? I, I think you you hit the nail on the head with saying it doesn't capture the spirit of the show in terms mm-hmm. of of the the ball busting that happens, but also like the nudging towards like push like they know exactly how to push each other's buttons, so they will nudge the uh, nudge them in doing things that they know that they hate mm-hmm. um, to try to like really twist the knife. And I don't think that that is ever that never comes through in my opinion. That comes through in one scene with Sal in a hotel room or a motel room. Yeah, but room. even but it, even that feels more like a prank. No payoff, right? Yeah, like that feels like it's uh, like it was like like if the show was a prank show, like if it were people just trying to 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 fuck with other people. Like it doesn't feel like a a punishment or a challenge or anything. It doesn't, it feels disconnected from the show premise entirely. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, not, you know, not entirely because it, you know, it does uh, make reference to something on the show and it's probably, again, it's, it's super extreme. Uh, but the idea that it, you know, it doesn't really go anywhere and, and comes from nowhere is, is disappointing mm-hmm. because it should have, you know, that should have been a punishment for something like that should have been a challenge um, and like, if you're going to put it on a wide scale and just do a challenge just to do it again, like go with, go with some, like, I, cause I always think like my favorite challenges are, are either like the, uh, the, where they're reading the names, uh, mm-hmm. and, or like the, uh, the two way mirror challenge, um, where they try to make someone laugh from behind, uh, the glass. Like you could go huge with that in like up the scale and really make it. You know which one I'm talking about, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When they're like, it's like that smoked glass thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like at one point, like Gary Busey, that was the first time Gary Busey was involved. Or like they do stuff with the family members and stuff. I think someone got married to Sal's dad or something like that. Well, that was basically the premise of the of the. Uh, I mean, it's kind of the same setup of the strip of, club of scene. the mer of the mer thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I, I you know, again, I just. It, it it doesn't capture the essence of of the show, and when it does do show like stuff, it doesn't set itself apart from any other episode there's ever been. In um, fact, I think it kind of cuts the show stuff short. Mm-hmm. Like that, the myrrh and the strip club thing that should have been a big setup. Like you should have, like it feels like it it's over in like two minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, there should have been I, I, just more build to it. And, and I guess you know maybe they wanted to make a movie that was more plot. I don't know. I don't know what the thinking behind it is, because it's it's a funnier die movie, directed by Chris Henchy, who did uh, what else did he do? Uh, I don't remember, but um, like you see, uh, Will Ferrell's in the background of one scene, just there in one of the narrative scenes. Yeah, uh, Chris Henchy is married to Brooke Shields, and I remember hearing an anecdote about that. I don't remember what it was or where it was, uh, but I believe that he this is his first thing that he's directed i know that he's written oh yeah uh, he co-wrote uh land of the lost the other guys the campaign yeah i mean he's worked with obviously worked with will ferrell quite a bit uh yeah um again i I just think that that it's definitely missing the spirit of the show yeah which is disappointing to me because i'm again my wife and i both love that show and it's one of those things you can just put it on you're like oh i've seen this one but you still you're still laughing Oh yeah! Again, I I'm not joking when I say that I will watch it for like five hours and not change the channel. And have I think, you, go ahead. I, I'm just was going to ask: Have you ever gone back um, and watched like the first season where they haven't quite nailed the premise? Yes. Yeah. It's, it's rough, right? It's not only rough, but it's like it's super edgy. <laughs> like it's yeah. Like, oh, there's yeah. some there's some really edgy dark stuff in that first season where. Uh, where it's almost borderline mean spirited um, in that <laughs> yeah. first season, it's it is it is rough around the edges. And now I think you know it it it, it has this. I, I feel like this show has a shelf life because at some point they're not going to be able to pull it over on anyone because they're getting so big and so popular. Um, and so you know it's going to run into the same thing that you know I think that why Jackass pivoted to Bad Grandpa was because it was you know harder to mess with people 
Um, and, and Jackass didn't do a ton of that stuff, but they did a fair amount where they would mess with people. Or, yeah, most or like of that was... Well, or plus, like Borat can never be a thing again. Oh, yeah. Or uh, whatever he did on uh, the most recent thing, This Is America. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Let's let's wrap this up. What's your grade for Impractical Jokers, the movie? <sighs> I got to give it a C. I just... I, I, I just did not, and I, I mean, the challenges were fine, but I, I just, it was, it felt like a bad episode of Impractical, like, it felt like a TV movie that uh, just has no reason to exist, unfortunately. Man, I, I'm going to go with a B minus, because I still think it's, um, it's fine enough as a fan. Like, if you're a fan of it, you, you won't, you won't hate your life watching it. I think it is only for fans, though, because if you think if this is the first taste you get of Impractical Jokers, like you're not going to you're not going to understand. Like, no, what the whole the whole thing is about. I don't think you would enjoy it either, really, frankly. Yeah. Uh, B minus just because I'm I, I, I liked enough of it and I, I like those guys a lot. Um, I think Sal Volcan I saw Sal Volcana do stand up last year and it was really funny. Um and uh, I was surprised by that because, you know, usually these guys come off TV shows. They kind of coast on that. But um, anyway, B minus for me. Let's move on to our next movie, The Lodge. How would you feel about going to the mountains for Christmas with Grace? She really wants to get to know you guys. That's our mom's hat. Oh, I'm sorry. I... You okay? I don't want to leave you here with the kids if you're not feeling up to it. Uh, I'm feeling fine. It was my idea, and it's a couple days. I can do a couple days. Okay, guys, I'm off. Have fun. What is that? It's crazy. Everyone committed suicide except for her. Repent, and you will find salvation. Things are very uncomfortable between us, and we're stuck in a house together. I didn't see this, but you did, Cody. So tell us about the Lodge. Yeah, so the Lodge is a um, a horror movie um, that that sort of, I guess, is more psychological thriller um, than 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 horror. Um, I don't want to give too much away from the premise, but it basically involves. Um, a uh, a father taking his two kids out to a um, a lodge in the, uh, the like a winter lodge where there's like it's like in the middle of nowhere and there's a lot of snow um, and he's with his new girlfriend um, and uh, she he like he wrote a bunch of books about this cult and she is like the one survivor of an of a of a cult that everyone committed suicide and she's the lone survivor that and it was ran by her father and so um the kids are are not a fan of her for uh, a couple of reasons that I won't give away uh and so it's about them all sort of being trapped in the same house and the things that happen uh and that occur there um i will say that the movie itself um, is 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 a slow burn um, where you know certain things start happening where um, where where some someone well not not someone but everyone is, is sort of like kind of questioning their sanity it's kind of like a cabin fever type thing once they get trapped um, and um, and then it takes a a left turn that I think is is going to be like the determining factor of whether people stay on board with the movie or not I happen to really like it. Um, and I think it, uh, again, I can't give too much away, but I, 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 there's a turn that happens that I, that I really like that I feel, um, is super fucked up. Like it's just a very messed up dark movie, uh, that takes a super messed up dark turn. Um, and, uh, and I think that it's really good. It's so the main, um, I think her, it's Riley Keough is the main actor in it. Uh, yes, she's, uh, Elvis Presley's granddaughter. Yeah, Elvis Presley's granddaughter, um, who I think is very, very good in it. And then it's got uh, a couple kid actors who I think are great. Um, one of them is uh, from um, It and um, uh, Knives Out, J- J- Jaden something, I think. Jaden Martell. Yeah. Um, and then uh, and then another little girl that's great. And then, uh, you know, I, I think that 
I, wait, I just, is, is, wait, is Alicia Silverstone in this? She is. Holy shit. Yeah, yeah, she is. Um, and uh, she's she's got, it's a pretty small part altogether, um, but uh, it's good to good to see her again. Uh, she was in something recently, too. She was in one of those uh, Diary of a Wimpy Kid movies, like playing the mom. Yeah. Like, Fuck she, me. She played a mom in uh, Killing of the Sacred Deer, too. Oh, did she? I never saw that. Yeah, she's in, and she plays a mom in this one too. So it's a, uh, it is a little. Oh, that reminds me, a movie we're not talking about this week: Brahms, The Boy Two. Hmm. Uh, God, Katie fucking Holmes looks old as shit. Yeah. Old. Yeah, I'm it's sorry. uh, it's in the Alicia Silverstone does it does look a little bit older in this movie, and it is super weird. On that, because Alicia Silverstone's older than Katie Holmes. Um, but, uh, yeah, so it, it, I, it, it's a tough movie to talk about because there are a lot of, um, details that if I, I don't think people would want me giving away. Um, but I, I think, so it, it's getting compared to hereditary a lot because it's got a lot of like the same like dollhouse motif in it, um, that it, that it goes back to quite a bit where the dollhouse is sort of like representation of things. Um, but I think at the end of the day, um, if you like, if you like your horror movies, kind of like dark, slow, and messed up, um, I, I think that you, 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 it, people seem to be split on this movie quite a bit. I fall on the side that I thought it was pretty solid. Yeah. Okay. What's your grade for the lodge? I'm giving it a solid B. Solid B. All right. Let's move on to our last movie, The Assistant. Welcome. Have a seat. Whatever's going on, you can tell me. That's what I'm here for. You're relatively new to the company. I mean, I've been working here for nearly two months. And you're under a lot of stress. Entry-level jobs in this industry are tough, right? Long hours? First one in, last one out. Good night. You're smart. You have to be smart. It's a tough job, but I can see that you've got what it takes. I want those new pages before I get on the plane. He promised the first thing. Where are we at? 200K and two points. Maybe you can put in a good word for you. No, he'll hire externally. Listen, his schedule has shifted. Does 7 p.m. work? Still at the hotel or? Yes. Okay, I didn't see this one either, but you did, Cody. Tell us about The Assistant. So The Assistant is a movie um, directed by Kitty Green. Did you ever see um, Casting John Bonet on Netflix? No, I did not. Okay, so she made that movie. Um, and uh, it's essentially the first movie that we're seeing that is a direct, to my knowledge at least, I shouldn't say completely, it is a direct sort of um, commentary on the Me Too movement and specifically Harvey Weinstein. Mm-hmm. Um, so essentially, this woman uh, uh, who is Julia Garner, who uh, is on Ozark, um, uh, she plays an assistant uh, at a production company um, working for a big-time mogul. And um, it's essentially like a day in the life as a production – or, or as, as a personal assistant to, um, to this person who um, – Sort of throughout throughout her day, you see the the toxic environment of the workplace, um, and it's very understated in that way. So, like you'll hear screaming through the walls, or you'll hear people have misogynistic conversations in the background or off to the side. Um, you'll see the work that she's putting in, like she finds like earrings on on the ground in his office when she's cleaning it up. Uh, she gets reprimanded and screamed at and verbally abused by him. Um, and it's and it's there's a lot of mundane stuff too of her making cop uh, copies and making coffee. I almost said that too, but she does both technically. <laughs> uh, um, and then and then it gets like kind of dark where, um, you know, she there's a part in the movie where she uh, where uh, a new girl that this guy found in, um, uh like some Kansas or some state like that, they bring her in to be like an assistant and they send her off to his uh, apartment. And the Julia Garner character feels really uncomfortable because she's like, you know, like a 19 year old actress who's being sent over to her apartment. And so there's a scene where Julia Garner's character goes to human resources and meets with um, Matthew McFadden, 
um, who is uh, really good in the movie. He's you know, most recently, I guess, in Succession, where he's gotten a lot of um, mm-hmm. uh, popularity. But um, and 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 there's it's just this really um, this really intense scene where you see like the idea behind the toxic masculinity and the toxic work environments within these um you know that you've heard stories about with Weinstein and and people protecting him and covering things up and you know holding power over over females you know in terms of like having uh an impact on their careers and and things like that you really get to see it in action in, in a really understated and in in um in powerful way where Julia Garner and Matthew McFadden are both fantastic in that scene um, if there's a complaint about the movie, I, which is valid, it is it is it is maybe too subtle and too mundane at times. Where you know the first half of the movie is literally her, you know, doing, you know, just random assistant tasks, and with like stuff sprinkled in throughout. And so I, I kind of wish it was more um, indicting on that on that front. Um, that being said, it's pretty stirring. It's pretty powerful. Um, and it's, and it's, and it's good. Um, I, I think that some people will be bored by it. I think that's inevitable. Um, but I, I think it's an interesting look into kind of like a day in the life, a slice of life of a toxic work environment that's surrounded by, um, a Harvey Weinstein-esque character. And, and it's very clearly based on him. I mean, there's no, you know, there's no room for interpretation, I don't think. <laughs> All right. What's your grade for the assistant? Uh, B minus. B minus. All right. That's going to do it for this week. Next week. I don't know what's opening next week. Uh, The Invisible Man. Oh, yeah. I don't know if I have a screening for that yet. Uh, We do here, so you probably do. Um, Mm. But it is a a horror movie with Elizabeth Moss. Um, It's a Blumhouse thing. Um, mm -hmm. It looks interesting. It looks decent. Yeah. It looks decent. Um, We also have Emma opens next week oh yes 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 haven't seen that yet either yeah so um actually let me double actually i was looking at an old email let me see if that's still valid. i believe that i believe that's the 28th yeah 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 I, I believe yeah so those are the big two um may or may not i'm have to check my vod calendar but may or may not have something there um and also next week uh i think you and i are going to something on monday that we might talk about oh yeah the mystery science theater 3000 uh the um um cheesy movie circus something like that i think it's i think that's what it's called yeah um it's the live show the last tour for joel hodgson i'm kind of curious if it's the last hurrah for anything officially mst3k at all Mm -hmm. uh being that netflix has canceled the show and i don't know I, i just can't see it coming back um at any point I don't know. I, I I don't know. It's interesting to me that this might be the real final, um, the real final tour or final showing of any of this thing that's branded Mystery Science Theater three thousand. Yeah, and I think that you and I had talked about a couple weeks ago. I think um, just sort of the um, the the. Uh, I mean, in my opinion, the kind of sort of outdated premise or idea behind um mystery science theater 3000 and in the brand that brand in particular um and uh and and whether or not it still plays the same way that it did back then um especially since it's it, i don't i don't know that they've added many fans as much as kept their you know die die hard fan base um so yeah, yeah it should be interesting it may be something that's best left um, in the past to just sort of keep, you know, playing in the loop. I mean, there's plenty of places to watch it. I mean, that's a lot of my Pluto TV watching is uh, is that um, it's just me watching reruns of Mystery Science Theater 3000. I, I don't I haven't really revisited any of the new episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, we are well documented as not liking the first season or the first reboot season. Um, we've talked about that a bunch, or at least I've not liked it. Um, I think I may have season, liked it more than you. Probably the second uh, fa- uh, Nef- Netflix season was better. I just don't think it, it, it never captured the same spirit. I think, um, you know, being this sort of Hollywood production as opposed to something that was clearly made by 
just people in the Midwest. Um, you know, I didn't mind, uh, you know, Jonah Ray being there, but you know, that's a different, you know, when it's a cast full of comedians and ringers, it just didn't have the same feel to it. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know. So I'm curious if this is, uh, this is probably the last we'll see of anything new from this because Shout Factory owns MST3K. And I don't know what sort of what they'll be willing to put forward anymore. I mean, I I just don't know if you can recapture that thing because I don't think you could. They successfully recaptured it with, you know, the, the stacked cast. And I don't know that you can recapture it with newcomers. Right. Either. Like if it was just some random up and coming comedians. I don't know. Well, I think that I think that it's the same thing that you kind of dealt with, which is that it doesn't feel like Mystery Science Theater when it's a bunch of comedy writers, uh, L.A. comedy writers, you know, putting together yeah. their best jokes or whatever. Well, and it's you know, and it's clearly done like as an afterthought. I, I don't want to say afterthought, but it's like it's not. You know, they're not dedicated to this job. It's it's what. You know, Baron Vaughn was doing between other gigs. You know, it's not. Uh, it just and it didn't have that like homemade feel to it. There's just there's just something that was missing, and a lot of it has to do with the personalities. Like I, again, I I like Jonah Ray a lot. I never got uh, into um, Fel- um, Felicia Day or Patton Oswalt in the show. I thought they were both kind of wasted. Um, Baron Vaughn, I never really liked as Tom. I liked um, Hampton Yount as Crow, but it, I just it just never never really grew on me, and it, it sucks because you're you're bringing this thing that's familiar back, but it's so different that it doesn't feel like the same thing. And I, you know, the tour uh, show you and I both saw it last time it came around with Joan with both Jonah and Joel, mm-hmm. And I thought that was way funnier and better made than any of the episodes, any of the new episodes. That was great. Yeah, I had a great time with that. And I and I thought that it worked really well and, and had a lot of energy to it. And and Jonah was really good uh, live on stage. And, and, I, and it felt – I don't know because I think in a way – and again, I don't know how the how the Joel thing is going to play off, but I, I think that with – at least with Jonah being up in front, it felt somewhat youthful, maybe not – entirely but just like a new generation of the thing and how is that going to be when you have joel out there on on monday you know is it going to feel like a dinosaur of a product or is it going to still feel fresh well see i don't i don't think that um it like the riff track stuff it's granted not as good as it was you know in the mystery science theater 3000 days but those guys like they're they're the same three guys that that were doing the show when it ended um, they get a little over-reliant on the same material. I just don't think there's enough writers in the room, uh, to, to put that stuff, you know, to give it a different voice. Um, I think they, they're still really funny together and it doesn't feel like a dinosaur thing. Um, and I, I don't know if you ever saw them, uh, touring. I, I've seen them a couple times, uh, Trace Beaulieu and Frank Conniff, who were the mad scientists in the original run of Mystery Science Theater. I have not seen that. Uh, um, they tour as the mads are back. And they're both really funny, and they never really riffed together in the original run. There's one episode where they do, like, it's an alternate universe thing, but they're both really funny. And, you know, it it can get dinosaur-ish because, like, Frank Conniff mentions things like Joe Besser, like, people like Joe Besser in a joke, which is like, if you don't know who the fuck Joe Besser is, uh, I mean, he's like the... (laughs) like the fourth or fifth replacement of a three, one of the three Stooges actors. Like it's really a deep cut of Hollywood shit. Um, but that felt normal to, you know, to that audience and to mystery science theater 3000. I don't know that you can translate it to, to a new youthful approach and have it still work to keep the same fans, I guess. Yeah. No, I hear you. Yeah. Um, Anyway, it's it's Monday night in San Antonio. I like that I got the ticket for that. Uh, it's you and I and a couple of uh, my friends that I don't believe you've met. And then, like, two months later, they open up tickets in Austin. I'm like, well, okay. Not only that, but uh, earlier this week, they put $20 <laughs> tickets out for this show. Yeah, it must not be selling well at all. I don't think um, so. I, I mean, the Tobin rarely, rarely does that. So it's probably a little bit grim. 
Yeah. Um, again, I, I wasn't able to see the first tour they did when they came back, but this, I, I really had a, a lot of fun at the second time around. Um, but we'll see how this third one goes. Uh, so, okay, if you want to reach us, you can email us at podcast at cinesnob.net. Find us on Twitter at Cinesnob. Facebook, Cinesnob Critic. Uh, we have another podcast, ReMCU. We're re- re-watching the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We have four episodes out now. More to come later. Um, anything else you want to plug before you go? Yeah, just uh, plug in my letterbox again. Uh, oh, yeah. Letterbox.com slash Cinesnob Cody. Um, I will be, uh, it will be the best place to keep track of me at South by Southwest, which is in a few weeks. Um, I've already started uh, watching stuff, uh, but I can't release it because I'm in heavily embargoed but um mm. but yeah so if if there's ever a movie too small to cover on here you can catch my thoughts on letterboxd and uh yeah that's it yeah i got another uh hard times article coming out soon um oh i think i is this the one that you <laughs> sent me that got approved <laughs> yeah yeah okay yeah yes. that's a good one um, movie related yeah. yes uh movie related i my two have been movie related so um Anyway, uh, yeah, so on that note, I'm Jared Kingery. I'm Cody Viafania. Thank you for listening to this Cine Snob podcast. To read reviews, interviews, and more, visit cinesnob.net. See you next week.